How many people did not like hearing about baggage last week? I'll put my hand up. I don't like hearing about it. I don't know about you, but I don't like hearing about issues I've got in my world. Do you? Yes? I mean, I don't know about you. Everybody else has issues, but I don't. <laughs> hey? Is that how it works? And so last week we started this series called Baggage and, and uh, just a little brief overview of that is that we discovered that in the dictionary when you look up the word baggage it talks about suitcases or luggage or trunks or things that we pack stuff into, yeah? And um, some of you um, are very good at that, some of you are not good at that. I'm, I'm not very good when I'm going away somewhere of packing it up. People say you should roll your clothes, others say you should fold your clothes. I, I don't know, there's just so many techniques when it comes to packing your bags, isn't there? Well, you're all serious with me this morning, and I'm telling you today that you're going to get liberated a little bit later on. But Webster's Bible Dictionary talks about baggage being this, being objects, circumstances, and beliefs that get in your way. And so what we have to understand about any baggage or stuff that we're carrying in our lives is we have to understand that they're a belief. These are not doctrinal problems. These are not... Uh, stuff that you may not agree about that's in the Bible or whatever. These, these are beliefs that you have personally about who you are. They're the things that the devil tells you about yourself and your future. Or, or they're the opinions that others have about you that you've held on to and that you've believed about yourself. Most of us, the baggage that we carry on around in our lives are based on other people's opinions of you and I, or what we've believed that the enemy has said about us, or what a teacher said about you while you're at school, or what the next door neighbor said about you, or maybe even what your parents have said about you. A lot of us hold beliefs or have baggage around our lives because we've believed things that have been said to us, and so we start to believe that our lives can't change, that we can't break that addiction to the things that we've got, that we can't break the family tree line of continuous alcoholics and our family line. And so the enemy says to you, you know, your your job isn't going to work, your marriage isn't going to work, this won't work, that won't work, you'll always be this way, nothing can change. And so what happens is we, we live with what I would call uh, tolerable recovery, where we learn to live with our stuff, and every now and then it might rise its ugly head and we have to deal with it, but we've just learned to cope with the stuff in our world rather than actually dealing with it. Yet the Bible says really, really clearly that who the sun sets free is free indeed. In other words, God doesn't set you free to a point. It's like, hey man, I got you 90% of the way there. It's better than 50. God's like 100% free, 100% whole, 100% healed, 100%. And there might be a thousand things that the enemy could get you to believe about your life. And maybe might some of those things in your life that need to be removed, I'm praying that as we discover these things that in our lives that we realize that we need to pray over, that we need to break off, that we need to remove out of our lives, that God would do a phenomenal work in you and that you'd have the faith to believe that God could actually unpack and unload the stuff that you've been carrying around that you just don't need to carry around. How many people think that that sounds good? Hey, one or two, that's awesome. Hey, and so we 
talked last week, this is a quick brief overview of four different kinds of people that have baggage, yes? Can you remember the first one? What was the first one? The handbag person. The handbag person is a person that packs stuff into their lives. It's a little handbag, and, and so we don't really deal with those stuff because they're not a big deal. They're just a nuisance, and it's easy. It's portable. We can carry it around with us, and so we never actually really deal with the little things because they're just a nuisance. It's not that big a deal. Yes, I know I have a little bit of an anger problem, but I can manage it. It gets becomes a nuisance every now and then, but it's not a big deal, and the thing is about that is that the Holy Spirit and God has never said to you, hey, it's okay, you got little problems, just keep them. God's always wanting you to be whole and to be free. And then we looked at the sports bag person, and the sports bag person is a person that packs their bags for special occasions. Like, most of the time their life is absolutely fine and absolutely brilliant until they turn up to a wedding, and then they have their sports bag with them, they start to unpack it because their marriage maybe failed, and so it brings back all these hurts and all these pains and all these problems and all these issues, or they might be absolutely fine, but then when they go home at Christmas time and face their parents, all of a sudden the sports bag comes out with all the pain and all the grief and all the stuff with it. Then there's a suitcase person, and that's a person that packs their bags every now and then to get away. They're actually trying to escape their situation. Their, their whole thing is, if I just pack all the stuff into my world and I get away for a while, then, then it'll all get sorted out. So if I change jobs, or if I shift house, or I change churches, or I change where I'm living, or maybe I even change the relationship when I'm in, then everything will be fine. Here's the problem, is that everything will be for a short period of time until all of a sudden everything that you brought with you into that new job, everything that you brought with you into that new house, everything that you brought with you into that relationship comes with you. You've still got the baggage, it's just for a short period of time you're living in a honeymoon phase. And then there was the trunk person, and the trunk person is the one who's meticulous about how they pack their life, but they only, you know, they pack all the memories and they pack all the stuff away into their trunk, and it's only every like now and again they go into the trunk and they realize that they should really clean it out, but instead of cleaning it out, they spend their whole time looking at the photos and the different things that they've packed into it, and what they do is they end up reliving all the trauma and everything that's attached to it, and then they shove it all back in the trunk and shut it and lock it until another time. And you thought there were just four types of people, but actually there's a fifth one. Are you ready for the fifth one this morning? It's what I call the furniture trailer person. The furniture trailer person is a person who not only packs their lives with their unresolved issues, but they go around collecting everybody else's baggage as well. And it's harder to carry other people's unresolved issues than it is to carry your own. And so you, you walk around and you pack your stuff in, but then you start packing your daughter's stuff into your life and your son's stuff into your life and your in-law's stuff into your life and your friend's stuff into your life and your neighbor's stuff into your life and your neighbor's next-door neighbor's cat's owner's uncle's auntie's friend. And you start packing that or your work colleague's stuff. You start packing it all into your life. And before you know it, you are packing all of this stuff and you're hooking it up to your life car and you're driving around with a furniture trailer not just filled of your stuff but filled of everybody else's stuff and people say to you things like why are you carrying other people's stuff and you say it's because I'm a burden bearer I'm someone who carries other people's burdens actually you have a martyr complex 
about the furniture trailer because you like to tell everybody how you carry around everybody else's stuff. And you say things like, I know how to carry other people's burdens. And if you were compassionate and cared, you'd carry them too. You're laughing because you know someone like this. There's a big difference between being a burden-bearing and carrying somebody's excess baggage. I can be burdened for someone without carrying their baggage. You see, our job is to minister to people, not to fix people. Our job is to be burdened for people, not to carry their burdens. Are you with me today? See, when you carry somebody else's baggage, you're basically carrying their baggage because they won't deal with it. And I don't know about you, but I know people that want to unload their stuff onto you. They want their problems to become your problems. They want you to fix it for them, yes? Sometimes I feel like writing on my forehead, I am not a dump truck for you to dump your stuff into. Come on, am I speaking true this morning? And if you carry the excess baggage of others that they will not deal with, I can tell you today, you don't have the grace to do that. You have not, that is not your calling, you have not been graced to carry other people's stuff. Only Jesus can carry people's stuff. You don't have the grace for it. So I ask you this morning, can you identify with at least one of those bags? You don't have to put your hand up. That would be a little embarrassing. I'm pretty sure that at different times in my life, I could identify with all five of those bags. And I'm pretty sure in some, some cases of my life, I've been probably doing all five at once. Here's the good news for you and I. Jesus says this in Luke 4, 18 to 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is what I'm about. I'm about healing broken hearts. I'm about setting people free from stuff that has kept them captive. I'm about letting people launch into liberty and not be bound up by stuff. I'm about setting the oppressed free. This is why I exist. This is why I am. This is why the anointing and the Spirit of God is upon me to do all of this. And I don't know about you, but I'm someone that has a broken heart that needs to be healed. I'm someone who's oppressed sometimes that needs liberty. I'm someone who gets bound up in stuff sometimes that needs the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord to come upon me so that I am free, so that I am set free. And the great news is, is this, is you you don't have to beg for it. You don't have to fast for it. You don't have to, I don't know, triple tithe for it or whatever it is that you think you've got to do to earn it because the anointing is on him for this purpose. And it's not about what you do. It's about what he does. And that's why it says in Acts that he pours out his spirit upon all flesh, not just Christians, but all flesh. Every single person that walks upon the face of this planet, the anointing of the Lord is available for this. And yet, the crazy thing about this piece of scripture is that he's actually saying it in Nazareth. And Nazareth is a town where he grew up in, but it wasn't the town that he was born in. 
And Nazareth was the place that he had the hardest time doing any kind of miracles or doing anything because most of the people in the town of Nazareth rejected every word he spoke because they couldn't see past the fact that he was Mary and Joseph's son, the son of the carpenter. And they never ever saw God do something significant and we're going to deal with what I call the hometown Nazareth attitude a little later in this message, but that's some of our problem is that we kind of think it's for everybody else, but it's not for me. Let me tell you what it says. The same scripture in the message says this, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free to announce this is God's year to act. I don't know about you, but I get excited because this is your time. This is my time. This is God's year to act. It's not next week. It's not in a couple of months. It's not hopefully in five years' time, but it's time. It's right now. God's anointing, God's presence, God's power, God's year to act is right here right now for you and for me. So how, how do our bags or how do our lives get packed with stuff and, and, and what do I need to unpack so that I can find this freedom that you're talking about? Well, the first way that our bags get packed is a thing called life experiences. Life experiences. How many people know you don't have to find things to hurt you? You don't have to find things to offend you. Life does a really good job at doing that for you. Life experiences can pack your bag. Those experiences that you don't even choose to have, but you have anyway. You don't even deserve to have them, but they come and they pack your bag. Life experiences pack your bag for you, but you and you have no control sometimes over those life experiences. I think of the story of Joseph, and we turn to it in, in Genesis 37, 5 to 10, and it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. The reason why they hated him even more is because he was his dad's favorite. We're going to do a series on the book of James a little later in the year, and we're going to talk about favoritism. Hated him even more. He said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There were... uh, there we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you reign over us, or shall you have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You would think Joseph would start to get a little bit of a clue that maybe sharing his dreams isn't a good idea. But unfortunately, he then dreams still another dream. Look, I've dreamed another dream, he says. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bound down to me. And so he told this to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers come and bow down to the earth before you? And it goes on to say that his brothers hated him even more. I'm not sure how much hate you can get in one piece of scripture. And so what ends up happening is that the brothers get so full of hate for him, they fake his death, they put him in a pit, they sell him into slavery, and and tell the father that an animal killed him, 
And so he's sold as a slave. He ends up in Potiphar's house as a slave, does a phenomenal job running his house for him. But then Potiphar's wife looks at him and goes, Woo, here's a little something, something. She tries to seduce him. He does what all good men should do. And the Bible says that he fleed. He didn't sonder off, you know, kind of like. He took off, and I would suggest to you that he was running scared, and, and she grabs his coat as he runs off, and she's got it in her hand. Then she tells Potiphar, he tried to, he tried to rape me, and, which is not true, but then, yeah, he's a slave. He doesn't have any rights. He gets thrown into prison, and while he's in prison, he interprets dreams for people, but everybody forgets about him. But eventually, 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 Joseph comes out of the prison and into the palace, and all the dreams that he had of being fulfilled. And when he finally meets his brothers again, his response to them is this, what you meant for evil, God did for good. I mean, here's the crazy thing about this life experience for Joseph. All Joseph did was dream. And here's the crazy thing, he didn't even ask for the dream. God gave it to him. Joseph is number 11 of all the sons, and so he basically has no rights. He didn't ask God for the dreams. God just gave them to him. It's not like he's like, man, God, give me a dream so that I can be greater than my brothers and my mother and my father. He, he did not ever ask for it. It just came his way. And here's the thing. Sometimes the dreams that you and I get, we're not asking for them. God's just giving them to us. God's just laying them on our hearts. We find a stirring in our soul and all sorts of stuff can happen and go wrong through the process because the devil will do everything he can to destroy the dream. He will use life experiences to try and destroy the dream in you. He'll use the unjust stuff, the unfair things. And you have a choice about what you're going to pack into your bag when you go through these unfair life experiences. You can pack into your bag mistrust. You can pack into your bag unforgiveness. You can pack into your bag bitterness. You can pack into your bag all sorts of things. But Joseph didn't allow life experiences to pack his bag. He turned around and said, no, what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He went from the pit to Potiphar to prison to promotion and to the palace because he refused to pack his life with with the stuff that came about from the life experiences. He refused to pack in it mistrust and unforgiveness. He chose to pack into it the trust of God. He chose to pack into it a spirit of excellence because he could have given up and quit, but he kept going. He never gave up on the dream, even though it didn't make sense to him what was going on. And there have been life experiences that may have packed your bag with pity and you felt sorry for yourself. Nobody cares for me. Nobody's there for me. I've been abused since I was a kid and that is horrendous and it's awful and I've been rejected and taken advantage of and I don't trust any Anybody, and I can understand why you would pack your bag with that stuff. The problem is this. You have to end up carrying it. And that stuff will ruin your life. The second way that things get packed into our bags is the enemy of our soul. And I think of the story of Job, and Job is one of the ones that I feel sorry for the most, and in Job chapter 1, verse 8 to 12, 
It says this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then Satan replies, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread through the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out for the presence of the Lord. So basically what's going on here is that God's saying, Look at Job. He's an absolute example of a follower of Christ. And Satan says, oh, that's because you protect him all the time. So God says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll take away my protection. You can do your worst, and we'll see what happens. Then we go on to chapter 2, because the devil kills his family, destroys everything for him, but doesn't touch him personally. Like he's lost everything. So then we go to chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth. He is blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incite me against him to ruin him without any reason. And Satan replied, Skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So now we're just upping the ante. He's already let him destroy everything about his life. Now he's like, you can do whatever you like to him, you just can't kill him. How many people think this sounds really awesome? So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores, from his soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And you thought people picking at their toes was awful. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job had nothing to do with any of this. None of this was his fault. None of this did he bring upon himself. He was a recipient of a trial he did not ask for, a supernatural deal that he did not make, and he could have cursed God, he could have blamed God when the trial came, and you can pack your bag when things don't make sense, when the enemy of your soul is attacking you, and you think that God should be doing something, and he's not doing anything, and you don't understand what's going on, you can pack your bag with anger and bitterness and mistrust of God and murmuring and speaking against him. You can pack your or you can pack your bag with a trust in God, even though you don't understand what is going on. Because Isaiah 50:10 says, He who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely 
on his God. Sometimes you just have to trust God when you're going through the darkest stuff and none of it makes sense because his promise says, I never leave you nor forsake you. And even though the enemy might be having a go and even though you don't understand it, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that at the end of this you would stand and strengthen your brothers. He didn't say, I prayed that it won't happen. He said, I prayed that at the end of it, that you'd stand and strengthen your brothers. And Peter was the guy that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the gospel, which saw 3,000 people get saved. And the launch of the church began that day. The crazy thing is, is that he said, Simon, Simon. Why would he call him Simon, Simon? His name was now Peter. God had changed his name from Simon to Peter. Why would he say Simon, Simon when his name was Peter? Because he understands something about the devil that you and I tend to forget. He said Simon, Simon, because the only thing, as I said last week, that the devil can have a go at you about is your past. Because he has no idea about your future. And he said, Simon, Simon, the devil has decided to sift you as wheat. In other words, the devil's going to put you through a whole lot of stuff from your past. He's going to try and pack your life with some baggage. But I've prayed for you that you'd come out the other side of it and you'd stand and strengthen all your brothers. The third way that we pack our bags is our own reactions and unresolved issues. Your responses, your reactions your wrong reactions, the wrong decisions to respond a particular way to a particular thing, the things that keep you which you know you should let go but you just can't get let go of, the things you are building on which you know are wrong but you just don't seem to be able to shift them out of the way. You can pack your own bag by doing all of that, by just having wrong attitudes and stuff, just, just reacting in the wrong way and and not apologizing and not saying sorry, but you know, I don't know about you, but but sometimes um, not your children and not my children, but other people's children, um, when they get caught out for doing something wrong, they just dig a little deeper, don't they? They don't have this ability to say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. They just have more ability to come up with ways to justify what they did wrong. That's someone that's packing their bags with wrong responses and wrong attitudes. By not forgiving, by not responding right, by not trusting, we start to pack our bags. Let me just um, help you out a little bit this morning. Hopefully, some of you, uh, this really, really helps you. I want to just give you, before we, before we wind this up and we ask God to come and unpack some of our baggage this morning, I just want to talk through with you some common lies that you and I believe which causes some wrong responses, which causes us to react in a wrong way. These are common lies that the enemy throws at us. First one is this, I'm only as good as my performance. That I'm only as good as my performance. If I perform well, if I do everything right, then I'm a good person. If I don't perform well and do things wrong, I'm a bad person. 
I'm a bad mum. Why are you a bad mum? I yelled at my kids. Do you yell at your kids 24-7? No, it was just the other day. They frustrated me, I lost the plot, and I yelled at them. Oh, so you had a bad moment. A bad moment doesn't make you a bad person. You are better than your performance. Or, here's one, I just have to drive myself a little bit more, and I just have to drive those around us, because if I can achieve stuff, then I'll have significance. Here's the problem with people that are driven to that degree. Drivenness is the counterfeit of passion. Drivenness is not passion. Drivenness is the counterfeit of passion. Do you know what the word passion means? found that out this week. You know what it means? It means willing to suffer. Hence why we have the passion of our Savior, willing to suffer on the cross for you and I. Passion is not about, I'm pumped. Passion is about, I'm willing to suffer for this to happen. Parents are passionate about their children because they're willing to suffer to see their kids become all that God created them to be. Because prior to children, I shopped at places like Barker's. After children, I shopped at places like the warehouse. It's called suffering because you're passionate about your children. Are you with me? Passion is a willingness to suffer for this. You know what drivenness is? Drivenness is I'm willing to make you suffer for this. You make other people suffer because you have this sense that if I can just achieve, then I'll be somebody. And so everybody else suffers for you. We actually need to give ourselves permission to fail because when we try and we fail, we learn and we grow. We try, we fail, we learn and we grow. I tried, I failed and yelled at the kids, but I've learned from that and I'm going to grow. Are you with me today? Our worth is not pinned to our performance because failure doesn't say anything about me as a person. Failure just says I'm using the wrong technique. Yelling at your kids doesn't say anything about you as a person. It just means you're using the wrong technique. Are you with me today? Here's another lie. I'm only as good as the approval I receive. So what happens is is that whether you feel good about yourself is really based on everybody else's opinion. If somebody tells you you're, you're good, then you are good. If someone says that you're not good, then you're not good. So the power you're placing into somebody else's hands Here's a fourth one. I am my role. In other words, it's about the role that I do. My worth and my value is in what I do. Separating me from my role would mean separating me from value. I need need three volunteers. I need Rimmer, Dave Morgan, and Seth. Come up here. I'm going to show you guys how this works. 
We're nearly done. Are you okay? All right. Seth, you can come over here. And the reason why Seth is over here is because there's three parts to you. There's the me part of you, there's the calling part of you, and then there's the role part of you. The reason why Seth is playing the me part of me is because (laughs) he basically is me, yes? Just in case you didn't realise, it's my son. Rim is going to play the calling part of me. Dave's going to play the role part of me. All those three things are separate things, right? They're separate things. They're not all together. Yeah? I operate about, I operate out of who I am in Christ. This operates about what God has called me to do, and this is me operating in my role of being a pastor. What we tend to do is we don't see them as three separate things. We, we merge them together. So see, if you come out here, remember you stand behind him, and then Dave, you come in behind Rimmer. And so what we do is we merge it all together, and we think that I am my role, I am my calling. Here's the problem. Let's say in my role, I completely and totally stuff it up so I lose my role as a pastor. You can go and sit down. I've lost my role now. I can't pastor anymore because I've stuffed up. I've lost my role. Here's the thing. I still have me, and I still have my calling because my role is not me, and my role is not my calling. My, my role is my role. Are you with me? Are you getting what I'm saying here? So here's the thing. We can take the role but it doesn't change my calling and it doesn't change who I am in Christ because the callings and the giftings of God, the Bible said, are without repentance. So I can stuff up in my role, I can stuff up as a parent and lose the plot and get angry, but it doesn't change my calling and it doesn't change how God sees me. God still sees me as love. God still sees me as created in His image. God still sees me as a child or a daughter or a son or whatever of the Most High God. He still sees me as highly valued. My value is not in what I do. My value is in who I am in Him. And when we mesh the three together, what happens is we think our role is our value and then we make mistakes in our role and we think that God doesn't love us. We think that God isn't for us. And all of a sudden we're packing our bags of all this wrong stuff and then we think our calling is over and it's not over because the callings and the giftings of God are about repentance. And maybe, maybe you have stuffed up in your role, but your calling and who you are in Christ does not change. Right, you guys, you can sit down. It doesn't change. And so what distinguishes me, what separates me as a person from my role of what I do is my relationship with God and my identity with Christ is who I am. My relationship with God and my identity in Christ is who I am. In spite of my role, in spite of my calling, in spite of what I do, my relationship with God is where I get my identity from. And I can stuff up big time and still be in relationship with Jesus. And all I've got to do then is just clarify what my calling looks like now. Because my calling doesn't change 
And then I just got to put my role into kingdom perspective and go, this is my role in the kingdom, but this is not who I am. Are you with me today? So how do we take you as musicians and singers come? How do we take care of this baggage? How do we, how do we deal with it? Maybe you've identified some stuff today, some baggage and stuff that you've got. How do I take care of it? It's really this simple. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, wherever the anointing is, there is hope for your healing of your soul. There's hope for the healing of your heart. There is hope for unpacking your baggage. There is hope for the bitterness to be taken away. There is hope because where the Spirit of the Lord is and where the anointing is, is the ability to set captives free, to heal broken hearts, and to set at liberty those that are oppressed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is the anointing to deal with your baggage. And here's the thing. You can put more locks on your trunk. You can hide your handbag. Or you can simply open your life to the Spirit of the Lord and just go, hey, I got some stuff I need to unpack. And here's the problem. Most of us tend to have what I would call a Nazareth mentality. Church people can so often have a Nazareth mentality. What's a Nazareth mentality? The people of the town that he grew up in, where he couldn't do a lot of miracles, is that we can become so familiar that we live without faith. We can get so familiar with God, so familiar with church, so familiar with these moments that we actually don't operate out of faith. We're just like, oh yeah, there's going to be an altar call now. People are going to be prayed for. That happens, seen that, been there. And then we look at it and we go to ourselves, you know what? Someone else will get healed. Someone else will get set free. But I've responded and that's never happened for me. And so it's always for someone else. It's never for me. I'm familiar, but there's no faith. See, the Nazareth home attitude, instead of them saying, this is God's year to act, this is when God's going to move in my world, this is when God's going to do the stuff that he needs to do, they were just like, yeah, it's for everybody else. It's not for me. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord is here and he's available. I believe the Spirit of the Lord will move in your life and will empty out all of your baggage. And when he empties out all of your baggage, he's going to pack that bag again, and I believe he's going to pack it with the grace of God. I believe he's going to pack it with the mercy of God, with faith in God, with the Holy Spirit, with a great future, because that's what the Bible says. You can have one or the other. You can either pack your bags, or you can um, let God unpack your bag and pack it with his stuff. But you can't have both. You can't have your bags and his. You can't have your baggage and his baggage. It's one or the other. And I believe that what Jesus is trying to say to you and I today is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to open blind eyes, to liberate those that are oppressed. It's here, right here, right now, right this minute. 
And why would you keep your bags packed with all that stuff when he wants to come and set you free so that you can be all that you dreamed you could be? Why don't we stand to our feet this morning?